Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Hurt Report with Jason White. As always, I'm your uh, host, John F. Taylor. And tonight's episode kind of got a little weird. Uh, we did some stuff with Ricky Martin. Uh, it was my mom's birthday, so <clears throat> we uh, wanted to wish her a happy birthday in the most uh, proper way possible. And she's a big Ricky Martin fan. She thinks she's got a great butt, so... Anyway, you'll get into that later. Uh, in this week's episode, we talked to Jason about uh, lizards outsmarting birds, uh, the trial of the two individuals that were involved in the uh, Florida python thing uh, that kind of was used as heavy ammunition um, for the whole Florida python uh, ban that's still ongoing. And uh, just had a whole lot of fun with Jason tonight. So without further ado, here's uh, here we are with uh, Jason White with the Hurt Report. Hey, Mom. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Good, good. You're on the uh, you're on our show, actually, <laughs> the Reptile Living Room right I now. What? <laughs> you're live on our show, the Reptile Living Room right now, because while I couldn't get Ricky Martin to come on the show with me and say and sing you Happy Birthday, I got the next best thing. What's the next best thing? Hit it, Jason. <laughs> So there, okay. you, so there you go. There's your Ricky Martin song for the day. Uh, okay. <laughs> Mom, this is uh, <laughs> Jason White and his family's on the phone with us tonight. Um, uh-huh. And we just all wanted to wish you a very happy birthday. Um, oh, thank you so much. For those of you who don't know, this is my mom, uh, Mrs. Mary Taylor, who gave birth to uh, me, obviously. The one that uh, entertains you on a weekly basis with Mr. Jason White. Say hello, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. So, uh, yeah, Mom, I was telling Jason about uh, the one time that we were on the uh, on the phone together, and we were deep in conversation about uh, something or other. And uh, amidst the award show, there was uh, a certain individual named Ricky Martin came on, and uh, you hung up on me mid conversation to uh, watch Ricky Martin dance because you like you said he has a cute butt. Uh-huh. Jason thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mom. Well, thanks again. Have a happy birthday. Right. I love you. So there you have it, folks. Today was uh, my mother's 80th birthday. Um, like I said, she's the one that spawned me. Probably regretted it ever since uh, I got into reptiles, but she loves me nonetheless. So uh, there you have it. That was Mrs. Mary Taylor uh, live on the reptile living room and the Herp Report with uh, Jason White. Hey, John. Yes, sir. I hate to ruin your mood, but you need to change what you just said. She used to love you before tonight. 
That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I will probably never be invited again to any family function as long as I live. <laughs> oh, boy. What a good time. Yeah, she's a uh, big Ricky Martin fan. Even after I told her, you know, that uh, the world had found out that he was gay, uh, she actually had a great comeback. She's like, you know, he still has a great butt. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. We should start using these sound effects every time. I think so. I think so. I think it's. Uh, I think it's pretty funny. I think I like it a lot. Yeah, really, because, you, uh, you know, I almost started dancing at that last one, so... <laughs> um, Thank God there's no video. <laughs> now, in order to uh, make your listeners feel a little bit more manly... Now, uh... Oh, there we go. <laughs> So, uh, what's new with the Herp Report, Jason? I heard uh, we got some information on that uh, trial that's kind of been a thorn in our ass for the uh, past couple of years. What's going on? Um, yeah, the trial's over. Jury deliberated. Jury of six people deliberated for about two hours. And um, the couple was found guilty on all three charges of uh, manslaughter, third-degree murder, and uh, child neglect. Okay. Now, specifically, this trial is in regards to... Uh, the python that uh, had gotten out of its enclosure and uh, gone into the uh, young child's bedroom and had asphyxiated uh, the child. That's the one. And this was all in Florida, and this is the one that it didn't really spark the uh, python ban in Florida, but it definitely uh, fueled the fire, as it were. It was used as heavy ammunition. Right, right, right. And so now those individuals have been found guilty on all charges of, uh, like you said, third-degree murder, I believe it was, uh, child neglect, and uh, what was the other charge again? Uh, I believe it was manslaughter. Manslaughter, okay. Yeah, so... Um, they're facing, uh, if, um, if convicted on all counts, they're facing, each one are facing up to 35 years in prison. Right, right. You know, and while that, you know, it's a... It's kind of a win for the reptile industry, sort of, you know, at, at the sadness of the loss of a child. But, you know, it does uh, finally hold those accountable who should have been held accountable. Absolutely. You know, it's, it wasn't the snake's fault, so to speak. You know, by any means, it was the, you know, the owners of the snakes that, you know. And this is, you know, something, Jason, that you and I have gone in, in depth about, you know, not necessarily on the show, but, you know, in previous conversations where, you know, it, the snakes are going on natural behaviors, you know, and it's never the snake's fault. And even when you and I have been talking, you know, and talking about getting bitten or, you know, whatever, it's never the snake's fault. It's always something that the human does while interacting with a snake. And, you know, sadly enough, this uh, little, I believe it was a girl, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, two-year-old girl. Yeah, two-year-old girl uh, was unfortunately the victim at this point. Now, you, you know... Uh, a talk with um, Kevin from NorCal Exotics there, I gave him a plug uh, when we were out looking for snakes today we were talking about this and oh really, okay you know, it, it's, it's, it, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind 
find that these people, their intent was not to kill their child. Um, oh, no. By any means, yeah. They, they, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I have to be honest. I don't know what kind of moronic thinking they were, they were going through in the way they secured this snake. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, the bottom line is it was stupid. However, it, it, it was a tra- tragic accident. Oh, sure. You yeah, know, that, and that's, uh, that's, and that's uh, the thing. You know, one of the things that uh, Ken Foose of uh, um, Exotic Pets Las Vegas and monthly columnist for Reptiles Magazine, since we're throwing out plugs, uh, Ken Foose's interview will be coming up here uh, real soon on the Reptile Living Room, and that was one of the things that he talked about. Was you know you have all these people out here, responsible people, mind you, that own snakes, whether venomous, large, constrictors, what have you, but then you know you have the just like you said, the morons. And, you know, no matter what you do, you can't account for the moron factor. You know, you can explain to somebody and tell and educate people on how to care for snakes and whatever, but unless they actually enact those on their own, you know, we're going to have government legislation. Well, you see, that, that this is where, where I really get to start thinking, because like you said, you've got the respondents, responsible ones and you have the morons. Where, where does that line begin and end? Because I, I, I think we, everybody can agree, even those that deny it, um, every single person that has spent any time in this hobby has made one of those moronic choices. Whether it, you know, whether it be getting too close to a rattlesnake or not properly securing the snake and losing it or something, you, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, if this is extremely sad that this choice caused the life of a child, um, but I, I, I think the biggest thing to, you know, for any, everybody, the biggest thing to keep in mind is no matter how good you think you are, you got, you double check everything you do. And yeah, regardless of how long you've been doing it or how smart you are, or how careful you are, all it takes is one mistake and, and, you know, that's it. Right, right. Now, one of the other, uh, topics that uh, came up this week in the news was uh, the new Pit Viper uh, guilty on all charges after uh, two copperheads uh, two different copperheads bit the same guy yeah, yeah that's what they're saying the, the guy I guess he uh, sought medical treatment for uh, the two copperhead bites and the, the authorities are saying that they believe this I mean this story was it was like one paragraph that came out and um, it says right here um, according to the sheriff's department the man whose name has not been released was bitten twice by two different snakes deputies are trying to determine how it happened this happened apparently in Atascada County, Texas where uh, copperheads are actually natives and they don't specify whether this was a native animals or captive that the man was bitten by oh really so we don't even know if it was wild we have no idea. Um, it just said he was recovering Wednesday morning after being bitten by a copperhead snake at least twice, and then according to sheriff's office, he was bitten twice by two different snakes. Huh. So it's you know I, I'm again I'm unfamiliar with copperheads. Um, well, I know that there's been no recorded up until then. Now, when what uh, when did this happen? Does it say? This happened uh, last Wednesday. Really? Just so, uh, from what I know. From what I was told, anyway, if I'm not mistaken, in Ken Foose's interview, because Ken Foose was actually bitten by a copperhead uh, when he was a nine-year-old. Um, un- unbeknownst to him, he didn't know they were venomous at that time. 
but uh, you can listen. Uh, listeners can listen to the interview when it comes out live uh, later in the week. But um, as far as I know, uh, no one has ever been killed by a copperhead until a couple months ago when another gentleman was bitten by a copperhead. So this would be the second one. Well, no, um, a couple months ago was Wade Westbrook. He um, passed away from an allergic reaction to the envenomation. Oh, okay. Um, this man, though, didn't die. Mm. So he's, he, he's recovering, but um, the, the amazing part of the story is, is apparently <coughs> sheriff deputies are saying he was bitten twice by two different copperhead snakes. Wow. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I would have... I think we would almost have to assume, as bad as that word is to say, that these were captive. Because right. You know, being bitten by two out, out in the wild at the same time, I just can't, I can't imagine that. Unless he's just extremely unlucky. Right, right. Yeah, very true. Now, speaking of amazing, uh, evidently tropical lizards are a little bit, you know, well, everybody considers reptiles slow or dumb. But uh, evidently, according to uh, ScienceDaily.com, the Puerto Rican anole uh, was tested on food-finding apparatus normally used on birds, and the lizards actually showed that they could solve a novel problem, uh, remember solutions, and unlearn incorrect approaches. So, yay for reptiles. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're not as... They're not as stupid as people think. I mean, there are some that are. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like my uh, one of my mentors told me, you know, even the stupid animals survive in captivity, <laughs> you know, thanks to us. Well, you know, John, this, uh, this order has um, survived for millions of years. Yeah, exactly. And people are not going to survive that long. And, you know, they, they might not be out there building nuclear power plants, but they're out there surviving. Right. Really. Regardless of how bad pollution and global warming and everything is, there are some of them that are, you know, uh, evolving still. Oh yeah, definitely, so, definitely. So it's. I, I feel the same thing about chickens. My, I have chickens. Before I got them, they were the stupidest animal in the world. But once I got them and started to understand them, I cannot believe how smart they actually are. Right. Right. Exactly. Those for reptiles. Yep. <coughs> Now the other kind of interesting thing that I that I learned uh, from your show actually was I guess they found a new pit viper. They did find a new pit viper in China, uh, the country's smallest pit viper uh, that's sitting at around two two and a half feet uh, wow. in length. Um, very 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 interesting. It they don't know anything about the snake. Um, they, they don't necessarily don't know the toxicity of the snake, but uh, I guess local, um, do they call them villages over there, I guess? I would presume so, if it's like out in the country somewhere. Um, well, it was in uh, the Moland National Nature Reserve. Okay. Maulin, or I don't know how to pronounce that, but right. anyway. Um, According to, to to the villagers out there, the snakes are extremely toxic. Um, that's hearsay, of course. I'm sure science is going to be uh, poking needles all over them to figure out exactly how toxic they are. Right, right. We actually have on, on, on DailyReptileNews.com, right on the front page there, there's a picture of the snake, and it's... it's i got to admit, it's a pretty sweet-looking snake. <laughs> it is a gorgeous snake. I'm looking at it right now. It's... And you know the funny thing that they happen to mention? That... 
While this is actually a new species, it was one of the most common species that they found on their expedition. Really? So it's never been described before, but it was the one they found the most of. Yeah, exactly. Let me, uh... What a trip. Okay, it says here, though the grayish-brown species easily blends into its, ha into its habitat, the ground-dwelling species ended up being the most common snake found during the research. Wow. Uh, that, that, that's just, you know, new snake found, but the most common one on the trip. It's just amazing. Yeah, because I know most of these herpetological uh, field expeditions only last about a month. You know, which, of course, that's a lot of time, you know, relative to, but, you know, thinking in relation to, you know, when you and I go field herping for a night, you know, we could find, you know, sometimes 80 snakes, and, you know, the next night we could find nothing. Where the hell are you going field herping finding 80 snakes? There's places. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, you can find snakes, you know, but what I'm saying, though, is, you know, one night you can go out and find a ton of snakes, the next night you can go out and find nothing, you know, and so on a herpetological expedition lasting about approximately a month, you know, that's, that's pretty good, you know, they find, you know, a lot of these and, you know, are saying that it's, you know, quote unquote common, you know, or the most common found anyway. Well, the most common found means that maybe they saw three of them. That could be too. That that's very true. It could be. Maybe they didn't find any other ones, which makes it the most common found. But you know, I see what you're getting at. Just because it's the most common found doesn't mean it's a common snake. Right. Right. Obviously, or it wouldn't. It would already be. <laughs> see, now I'm not sure. China is a. Uh, I mean, no, no offense to any Chinese listeners, but they're a different breed. Right. You know, the way their laws work over there and. It might just be that it's not legal for people to go looking for snakes there, and that's why these haven't, these haven't been discovered yet. Yeah, it could be. It could be like, you know, something um, along the lines of Australia and Hawaii, where you're not allowed to export certain species, you know, so they don't even, you know, they don't even look for them. Yeah, yeah. You know? In fact, I, I don't think, I think you mentioned Hawaii, I don't think it's legal at all to own any exotic snakes in Hawaii. Yeah, I don't. I I think you're actually correct on that one. I know you can't export them from Australia. You can't export anything, uh, yeah. to my knowledge. But as far as Hawaii is concerned, I don't, I don't even know if you can own them over there. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And uh, so next up on the uh, topic uh, of my uh, perspective, the one that really caught me was uh, Arizona Cardinals Darnell Dockett uh, mentioned something about. Uh, Acquiring a snake yeah. on Twitter, and next thing you know, he's getting you know the shaft from PETA. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, Darnell Dockett. He um, it was actually an alligator. Oh, an alligator. I'm sorry. He got a pet alligator, and you know he received one of PETA's love letters, and it was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then somebody um updated me actually on the story. I didn't catch the update but somebody updated me and I went and read it and it turned out being a joke so yeah. <laughs> he never got an alligator he just said he did and PETA started sending out their love letters and I, I, I think that is PETA probably spent 1.8 million dollars sending those letters out wow you know and, and um, I do have to say that I am uh um, actually, the uh, 
ecorazi.com. Um, they made our douchebag of the day because they they said that uh, they ran this story and they said maybe he should have chosen a dog or a cat instead. Wow. And and that that just it rubs me the wrong way when people try to uh, get people to get dogs and cats instead of snakes or lizards, you know. And we've uh, we, we we've talked about it so many times before. You, me, other people, everybody's talked about it about the the responsibility in owning some of those larger dangerous animals and I think everybody's perspective is pretty much the same as long as they got the knowledge and the money and the room to take care of it and know what they're doing have fun right right there's there's nothing wrong with somebody owning a dangerous animal as long as they can do it the right way right right now we did have a loss in the uh, reptile industry today at uh, South Dakota's reptile gardens today I'm sorry um, rather we had a, a a definite loss, though, in uh, one of the tortoises at uh, South Dakota's uh, Reptile Gardens passed away, I guess? Yes, 130-year-old tortoise on, uh, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, it was 130-year-old tortoise that came from the Galapagos Islands back in the, oh, good lord, the 50s? Really? Uh, 1954 came to uh, South Dakota from the Galapagos Islands, and it, uh, it passed away. Wow. So it, yeah, it's uh, it, it's I guess it's a pretty sad thing for them. They, uh, workers at the reptile garden say that they remember grandparents telling their grandchildren stories about when they came and saw that tortoise when they were kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's just uh, you know, but um, you know, according to you know, they say these tortoises can live to over a hundred years old. Right. And, and um, grow to be hundreds of pounds. At 130 years old, it would seem to me that this tortoise actually probably had a pretty good life. Oh, most definitely. I'm sure living at the zoo and, you know, cruising. Yeah, I, I can't imagine them having a better life. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that, too, because I just started reading um, Carl Caulfield's uh, Keeper in the Kept. And uh, it was a book published, I guess, back in the 60s um, when our industry first, you know, started coming about. And he was talking about. You know how people, uh, some individuals view the captive care of animals as you know something that's evil and you know shouldn't be done. Exactly. You know, and he was speaking to the fact of okay, yeah, we're giving these animals a better life and a longer life in captivity, but you know, do they really know that? The animals themselves, we're not sure, but they do adapt and they do you know. Uh, a lot of the animals come to know their keepers. So I, I do think they do. I, I do think that they, you know, I think they might have an understanding of, you know, that, hey, I've got a better life, so I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you see, here's, here's the way I feel about it. I mean, I, I, I'm, ex- my, um, I, my thoughts on, like, collecting uh, wild animals and stuff, like, it's extremely limited. I mean, I, I, I think if you go out, I mean, I can't I can't pull a double standard and say it's wrong because I have some wild-caught animals myself. Oh, sure. But I think in, uh, you know, in moderation, if, if, you, if you have one or two of them or whatever, then okay, whatever. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the effects, the, you know, the mortality rates and stuff are on those, but I can guarantee you that if I take my albino corn snake and put it out on my front grass tomorrow morning, it won't live an hour. Right. And when you start talking about some of these morphs that people are coming out with, I mean, just the color alone, 
those things will be dead. They'll, a predator will find them. And, and so, I mean, obviously, if we've got one in captivity for 15 years, we're, we're doing it a favor, I would think. I would think so, yeah. Or at least keeping it alive longer than it would be out in the wild. But, of course, then again, one could argue that you wouldn't have those colors out in the wild. So. Well, you know, and that's always the thing that come that uh, you know gets thrown that gets bandied about, in my opinion, is you know, oh well, you would never find those colors in the wild. Well, guess what, folks? Albinos. Albinos occur in the wild. That's how we got them in the first place. They, they are an albino is a naturally occurring gene in every species on Earth. Right. So you know, we were just lucky enough to rescue one. You know, and pro- and reproduce that gene. So you know, now granted, you're not going to find you know the spider Mojave. You know, or maybe you would. I mean, who really knows? We know. Here's, here's, here's the, thing. the thing, Jason. Check this out because I've been really thinking about this. You know, watching all these different ball python morphs and what have you come about. And you know, okay, granted, with human interaction, morphology. Or color change can happen within what three years? Sometimes less than that. Well, here's what I think. I think okay. with, with human interaction, the colors that have come out have been greatly accelerated. Right, and that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is you know, who's to say that this wouldn't happen in the wild? Well, eventually it would. All it takes is two snakes to get together and cross the right two genes, and you're coming out with. Uh, the hottest ball python on the market now. Yeah, because you know, I mean, as far as I know, and I and I could be totally wrong on this, but like I said, to my knowledge, the piebald ball python was originally a wild caught specimen that someone found and reproduced in captivity. The gene would have to be. That's right. We we don't make genes in pizza and feed them to the snakes. Yeah, exactly. The snakes come with the genes. We just just mix one with another one and make something cool looking. So in the the rare opportunity that those two genes might cross in the wild, then guess what? Yeah, yeah. But, but, on that same note, guess what? Okay. If a piebald ball python was hatched out in the wild, it wouldn't last an hour. Yeah, I don't think so. It, 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 you know, they when you start coming out with so there's a reason why they're camouflaged that way, and you come out with a snake with a bunch of white on it, and it's going to get picked off pretty quick by a eagle or something, or something that that uh, predates on it, right? You know, and I totally agree with that. So you know, I think you know the genes that we have in in captivity, you know, would eventually be reproduced. I think depending on you know. Um, habitability of the area and where the snakes live and things of that nature. I think there's still a lot more to be said than just picking up a normal ball python and bringing it to another normal and you know choosing color selection for patterns and what have you. I think what we've done in uh, I, I, by saying we, I don't mean you or I or anybody listening. I right, no, yeah. You know, What the commercial industry has done to reptiles is basically accelerated 20 million years of evolution. Right. And it's the same thing, you know, and this is the thing that always gets me is, you know, but everybody's willing to pick up and spend, you know, $40,000 on occasion. Granted, it's rare, but it does happen. That they spend an enormous amount of money on these 
quote unquote purebred cats, dogs, rabbits sometimes. Yeah. Guess what, folks? Those things don't occur in the wild either. <laughs> you know, so really, what's the difference? But, you know, that's my own personal tangent, so, you know. Well, you know, something I learned, and this, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but it, I mean, it goes right along with what we're saying here. It's one of the most controversial practices in our hobby, and that's uh, hybrids. Um, you know, something, something that I learned quite a while back, you know, <laughs> hybrids have been found in the wild. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not saying it doesn't occur in the wild. You know, I'm not saying people, that. Well, a lot of people call it bad. They call it playing God when you're when you're mixing two species. But you know, it is not. In fact, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I believe this was all over Kingsnake a few years back that somebody found a wild born. It was a wild caught hybrid between a gopher and a kingsnake. Um, that I think you are correct. I, I, I seem to remember about something just crazy that somebody picked up out of the wild, and that's what it ended up being. Now, I know for a fact that you can cross a king snake and a corn snake. It's not all the time, yeah. And uh, at, at, as a matter of fact, Bob Applegate told me how it's done. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, it, it's pretty interesting how it's done. You wouldn't think that that would occur in the wild, but it, it does. Well, the interesting thing was that Bob told me in captivity how these things are produced is that you take a king snake and a corn snake, a male and a female, and basically you, uh, well, actually you take the king snake or corn snake, whichever male you want, and you put them with females that have their um, vents taped shut of the same species. So you 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 know throw a male that's fully functional in with a couple of female kings that are have their vents taped shut so he cannot access them, so he can't act, he can't you know do the deed as it were, for lack of a better term, and then you take that same male, throw him in with two female corn snakes that have unobstructed vents, and he just goes at it because you know that's you know what he wants to do that's what he's been trying to do for weeks. And that's how jungle corns are actually produced. Yeah. That was amazing to me that you know, and it's kind of disturbing in a way that somebody figured that out. It's uh, well, you know, I I don't think you even have to tape the females. I think when because um, have you ever bred corn snakes? Yes. Okay. Then, well, you know, when, when you put them in the cage together, I mean, they get they get excited pretty fast. Oh yeah, definitely. And, um. Basically, you, I mean, you just the, the way I was taught to do it is you just take the male, throw him in there, and he's only got to be in there for a second. Then you pull him out and throw him in with the female king snake, and he's so worked up, right? He doesn't, he doesn't even realize it's a king snake and just goes right for it. Right, right, right. Yeah, hybridization is something that kind of it's really a mixed bag with me because you know it doesn't occur as commonly as it does in captivity. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that kind of bugs me is people crossing jungle uh, jungle carpet pythons with Amazon tree boas and, you know, and all this other weird stuff that, you know, just shouldn't happen. Well, you see, a good example in captivity, uh, a, a corn snake is never, ever, ever going to cross with a California king snake in the wild. Right. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be natural. They're not from the same area, but... 
point, the whole point of it is, you know, in the, the, those prospective species in their areas do um, sometimes cross with, with similar animals. Right. Um, Right at the end, edges of their ranges, you know. Yeah, because and now, now see that's a totally different thing to me. If the ranges cross for two different species and they happen to create what they call an intergrade, then okay, I get it. That's an intergrade species, but don't call it in in our industry. Don't call it in the reptile industry a new species. Call it an intergrade. Yeah. Tell people straight up, this is a cross between this and this. You know, well, this see, isn't just a new species that you, you know, that's not how it works to me. Well, I mean, and that, that even depends on how long that species has been established right on that border area. If it's something that's been there for, you know, 30, if it's something that crossed 30,000 years ago, then that maybe that is worth calling it a... Yeah, but that's something that should be left to taxonomists and systematics, you know, that do the, you know, the quote-unquote scale counters of the industry, I believe. You know, and that's just, but that's my, again, another personal rant of mine that, you know, I don't believe in creating hybrids just to, you know, create a new snake to sell to somebody. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 they really, really interest me, um, but I don't. I I agree with you. I think uh, creating them just to make a quick buck is kind of stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, on top of that, John, you, it's impossible to create a hybrid to make a quick buck. As much work as it is. <laughs> you know, I, this I is mean, true. Well, granted, I mean, I've never done it, but just talking to people and hearing the amount of work that goes into some of these hybrid projects, you're not making a quick buck. Yeah, that's true too. I, I can give you that. You you can't even go buy two hybrids, breed them together, and call that a quick buck. Because I mean, it's my understanding a lot of these things can don't breed anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a lot of people, um, from what I've heard anyway. And like you said, like you said personally, you know, I've never done it myself, so I can't you know speak directly to it. But uh, yeah, it's you know something that you know doesn't breed. Um, doesn't reproduce commonly in captivity. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Too interesting. Too too interesting for one show. Yeah, very definitely. And uh, I believe, speaking of uh, too interesting for one show, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, we actually do have Gary Rawl from uh, Northampton Reptile Center will be on the show next week to talk about the uh, UK reptile market. Should be very interesting. Gary's a really good guy. Uh, I've talked to him a couple times myself, personally. And uh, I think you've had some interactions with them as well. Yes, I have. So, and uh, speaking of very cool, anything on your uh, field herping journey today that you took without me? Well, you <laughs> Notice know, I punched that in there, without me. But I believe, <laughs> I believe if you watched Facebook, you would have had plenty of notice to make the eight-hour trip. So there you have it, folks, today on... Uh, <laughs> On the Herp Report with Jason White from Daily Reptile News, you've been introduced to my mom uh, and wonderful mother, uh, Mrs. Mary Taylor, um, turned 80 today. Uh, we listened to uh, Mr. Jason White, rep, uh, Reptile Extraordinaire, and little known uh, second cousin twice removed from Ricky Martin, <laughs> and wish her a happy birthday. Um, lots of good stuff. 
once again, Jason, we look forward to seeing you next week on the show. Uh, and possibly, potentially with Gary Rolfe from uh, Northampton Reptile Center. And uh, next week, we may, uh, not next week, sorry, uh, in a couple of weeks, we may be going up to uh, Northern California to check out the uh, Reptile Expo and the Venom interviews. So, uh, Jason, any final thoughts from you? Um, John, you know, the only thing I could really think of right now. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is.